Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Hey, I want to talk to you today about the theology behind love and serve. We've been talking about the fact that we are to connect everything we do back to a soul, that we're to live heart first, that we connect everything we do back to Jesus somehow and try to connect people with Jesus and his love. We talk about the fact that God is a redeeming God. He's the God of peace, the God of shalom. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, we saw some powerful words, very powerful words. He says, as you come to him, this is us coming to Jesus, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones. He makes us alive in him are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Now, this was radical. Peter, who had served the Lord and then denied the Lord, and after Christ dies on the cross, he rises again from the dead. He goes out and looks for Peter. Actually, you'll remember the scripture. It says, um, go tell, tell my disciples and Peter that I've risen from the dead. Uh, Peter got that news. Um, he had to be overwhelmed that the Lord would have even said his name after he denied him three times. And then we see, uh, you know, a few slides later, we see Peter and Jesus having um, breakfast on the side of the, the lake. Um, they were having biscuits and gravy. <laughs> it was. It was. It was bacon and sausage gravy and. Anybody make good B&G? Anybody? No, no I, I do. Okay. I'm waiting. But don't bring it to me because I don't need it. But I'd, I, okay, I'll, I'll test it out. <laughs> he says, you're like living stones being built into a spiritual house. You are a priesthood, a chosen people, a royal priesthood. The word royal literally means that you're kings. Now, you have to understand how radical this was is because Peter has this, 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 this front row seat, this ground level seat to the birthing of the church. And now he's telling people, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, even if at some time in your life you denied Christ, God will build his church with people just like you because that's what he told Peter. To all the Christians, Peter would say, to, to you, to you, to you watching online, you're a royal priesthood. And at the time of this writing and this declaration, the theology was that there were priests who did the priestly work, there were kings who did kingly work, and there were prophets who did prophet work. You see, the prophets were someone who would have the courage and the wisdom to declare the gospel of God, the works of God. The priest was someone who had the heart and the compassion to rescue people, to listen to their sins, to care for them, and also in the Old Testament to make sacrifices on their behalf. And the royalty or the kingship had to do with leadership and influence and accomplishing tasks that would bring people together with vision and mission. And he says, guess what? And guess what? Are you ready for this? That's who you are. Your prophets. Your prophets who can declare the word of God. Your, your, your priests who can go to people that are far from God and bring them close to God. And your kings, your leaders, you can use your influence with people. And by the way, everyone in here has influence somewhere. 
Just think about it. Everyone in here can influence someone somewhere. Everyone in here can be a priest to those people who desperately need to have the heart and compassion of God's shalom in our world, especially today. Now, the early church was filled with visionaries and dreamers. Joel prophesied that in my last days, there'll be people who will dream and have visions, and, and they were known in the early church as being risk takers, and today, the church is applauded for conformity. If we all just look like each other and know when to raise our hands at the right time, or how to say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, hallelujah, Jesus to you, yeah. or, or, or if we all just, just, just kind of blend in. But back in early church, they were risk takers. Matter of fact, one, one, one scripture says, they sold everything they had and brought it to the apostles' feet and trusted the church leaders to do good with their stuff. And we have trouble getting people to tithe today, 10%. By the way, it's cheaper to tithe than to sell everything you have and bring it to the church, unless all, unless all you have are, are, are debt receipts, right? Here's a question I want to ask, and we'll dive into this deeply today. If our church ceased to exist, would anyone in our community take notice or miss our existence? I, I, I met with um, six young pastors recently, and I asked them this question. I said, if your church closed its doors, if your church ceased to exist in that elementary school or in that marketplace building that you, you lease on Sundays, if, if your church, if, if your facility closed its doors for the last time, and your people that go there no longer served in the community, would anyone take notice? And uh, I've always said this, I, I want to pastor a church that if we stopped doing what we do, somebody would call us from the community, a non-Christian, and say, we miss you. We, we, we miss what you do, the value that you add to our community. And so there was a time in Jeremiah 29, 11, and I'd like you to turn there if you have your, your Bibles, Jeremiah 29, and it, it, it was a time where God made this incredible promise that I have hope and a future for you, an expected end, and, and I would just wonder, how many of you know Jeremiah 29, 11? You know the reference? How many have ever quoted it? You know, it, it's my family's verse. We've been using it for 40 years now, and it's, it's, it's you know... We declared over our kids and our grandkids, and they know Jeremiah 29, 11, and my wife has a necklace that says Jeremiah 29, 11 on it, and, and you know, it's a, the salutation, and we text our son, Jeremiah 29, 11, he texts back Jeremiah 29, 11, and so we've got 29, 11, but do we have 29 down? Do, 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 do we know the theological impetus behind our call to love and serve? Well, let me just tell you quickly that... The Babylonians are in charge. They are the strongest military, they are the strongest economy, and they have now tried to get Israel to bow down at its knees. And so um, Nebuchadnezzar has taken the children of Israel and brought them as exiles into Babylonian captivity. And as we'll see later, God is actually in charge of doing this. He's behind it. He takes the social part of it and makes it his part. But the Israelites were living on the outskirts. They were living in the suburbs, you know, of, 
of rural Babylonia. They, they, they didn't want to be influenced by them. So what the Babylonians did was they took all the leaders, they took all the priests, all the prophets, you see how this works? All the priests, all the prophets, all the artists and artisans and the bread makers, the violinists, you know, the rappers, the mechanics. They, they took all of the main folks who had influence in the community and brought them in close to them and said, we will somehow indoctrinate you to being like us. We want to change your religious beliefs. And so in verse 4 of Jeremiah 29, it says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried in exile. You know, back in verse 1, he says it was Nebuchadnezzar who did it, but here he says, all of those that I carried in exile... And I brought you from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters, increase in numbers there and do not decrease. In other words, you are not tenants, you're residents. Stop acting like you just hang out here. Um, I, I met a lady three weeks ago. She was a guest, first-time guest, and I said, hey, glad to have you here. And she goes, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for a church. I said, well, you know, where have you been? She started telling me, and she goes, actually, I've decided um, there's three churches that I go to. I go to one in the village, and I go to two downtown, and yours might be the fourth. Now, here's what I want to tell her. This is life experience talking. Um, you will never have a home church. You will just be living in the suburbs. You'll just be out in a rural area. Um, you'll have four churches, and none of them will be your home, and none of them will ever get your greatest kingdom contribution because you can't do that. I know people who moved to Lompoc because they couldn't afford housing in Santa Barbara and Goleta. That was the reason. Any of you relate to that? Yeah. There's a, there's a surge. There's going to be a new surge when new homes are being built here. You watch. There'll be a waiting list. There'll be a new surge. Uh, back in the early 80s, when homes were being built in Glen Ellen and the Meadows, people were camping out here, starting on Thursday morning, waiting for Saturday to get in line to get a number to hopefully purchase a house, hopefully purchase a house. They were about 101 to 117 at the time. We should have bought them then. <laughs> now, what does it have to do with anything? Everything. Because the first point I want you to write down is live and settle there. Make the city your home. Forever how long God has you in Lompoc, in Santa Barbara County, out at Vandenberg, make it your home. Put roots down. That's why I love our military that come to LFC and, 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 and contribute here, not only of their, their finances and their time, but they serve here. They add value. And I always applaud their efforts. They know they're going to be here like, you know, three years maybe-ish. And yet they could live on the base like one couple that I know that's PCSing soon they said to me, oh, yeah, we came to Vandenberg, we shop here, we recreate here, we go to the movies here, we bowl here, um, we get our gas here. And I said, have you ever been like in a lot once? Almost three years they've been here, once. Said, well, don't you like Lompoc? No. You ever been to Santa Maria? Once. You ever been to Santa Barbara? Nope. How about San Luis? You ever been to Avila Beach? Pismo? Nope. You ever been to Fresno? <laughs> Bakersfield? <laughs> Templeton, nope. And he looked at me with these strong eyes and he said, we go from base to base and we just live on the base. And I thought in my heart, boy, what are you missing? Huh? 
Thank God for our military that say, uh, I want to connect with a local church. I, I, just, I just thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 32 years of thank yous. See, he says that you're exiles. And the word exiles is resident aliens. Now, you and I know this world is not our home. If we live for Christ, he's got a reserved spot for us in heaven someday, and we're going to go there, and it's going to be awesome. But some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. We should be so heavenly minded that we think about people's eternities. And if we believe in a life after this life, in the presence of God, first the judgment, and then we stand before God in glory, we should be saying, God, we got to get as many people as we can to populate heaven with us. I, I think, you know, guys, if you're married, I think when you get to heaven, the question that the Lord's going to ask you is, where's your wife and kids? Good morning. You know, mamas, single moms, grandmas, the Lord's going to say, hey, where's your kid? Where's your grandkids? So you say, well, I think the Lord's going to ask me all the good things I did. I, he already knows what you did. I think he's going to want to make sure your family's there. Then I think he, he's going to ask, hey, 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 where's your coworker, the guy you worked with forever, that lady that you rode the bus with? Come on. You're resident aliens, but he says, even though you're not of Babylon, I want you to live as though it's your city. If our Schools don't consider the Judeo-Christian ethic. We need to help them. I know a lot of you parents are, are, are getting involved in the forums. I hope you are anyway in regards to sex ed in our district. Any parents involved? Anybody care? Anybody even know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's one of the hottest issues right now in our community and across the state of California, not just, not just here. Um, if you're not informed, get informed. You need to know what's going on in our schools. And um, if you need help with that, Find another parent who's already got the stuff, the material, and knows what's going on. If you don't care about the economy of our city, if you don't care about the latest business that started in our town, because the success rate is so poor with businesses. Somebody told him recently, I'm going to start another restaurant in Lompoc. He said, wait, wait, let me buy you lunch. Let's have a conversation. Well, what do you know? I know a lot. I, I, I know a lot. <laughs> I'm a consumer. <laughs> And I've only been here 32 years. I know a little bit about business. And I said, you got seven years of funds under you, underneath you? Seven years? They said, well, the bank told me five. I said, you got seven years? This is Lompoc. We are fickle. Anything new, everybody packs it out. And then things change over time. But you know what I do? When I drive by Blaze Pizza and when I drive by Chop House, you know what I do when I drive by Foriano's? I say, God bless their business. Bless them with income beyond their wildest dreams. Keep those launches coming so people are here eating. I went by Eddie's Grill. The line was out the door because everybody was connected to SpaceX. I thought, good. They call it Lompoc. We don't care. Give us your money. <laughs> huh? Come on. We should be concerned about our community. Why? Because Acts 17, 26 says, For one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined, listen, the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God knew that today you'd be sitting at LFC in Lompoc, California, 93436. He knew that. He knew you'd be at Vandenberg. He knew you'd live in Orcutt or Buellton or Santa Maria or San Inez. He knew that. He knew you'd be watching online. He knew it. 
He knew that Elon Musk was coming to our city. Whether it launches or not, he'll be here. I go, well, who cares? I care because he employs a bunch of people at SpaceX. Some of them go to our church. Some of them moved across the country. I know one guy, he was jobless, looking for a job. And SpaceX picked him up. Income and benefits. Hello? You want to pray for their success or not? By the way, I pray for the success of Vandenberg every time I drive by the base, every time I visit the base, and every time I think about the base. Do you pray for Vandenberg? Hello? Good morning? By the way, if you're a homeowner, pray for the success of Vandenberg. About 50 to 60% of your property value is connected to the base. Did you know that? Good morning. Almost $3 billion is pumped every year into the county economy from Vandenberg Air Force Base. Some of you go, well, I don't care. There's just a bunch of guys out there in military suits walking around, and they're going to launch a big rocket. Who cares? Who cares? I'm not interested. Boy, pray for the success. Why? Where do you get that? I get it from here, from Jeremiah. Verse uh, 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 29 and, and 5 and 6, it says, build houses, settle down, increase in number, do not decrease. When this church started in 1940, there were 70,555 people in the county of Santa Barbara. Today, listen, today there are 448,150 people in the county. That was last year's census. 448,000. That's not that many. Santa Maria has over 100,000. Santa Barbara, over 100,000. There's half of it. The rest is for us. By the way, if you do the math and divide it by the number of churches in Santa Barbara County, that's about 500 to 600 people for each church. I could get my mind around 500 to 600. Can you? We're going to have 3,000 at our Harvest Block Party. We're going to have 1,500 high school students at the post-game party. I can get my mind around 500. I can show you what that looks like. Could you imagine if every church had the influence and reach to be prophets, priests, and kings to 500 people in their community? That's doable. Well, some churches say, well, you don't have big vision. Okay, take 100. And pretty soon, we, we, we have pretty much accomplished everybody getting some kind of touch from the Christian community where they are. Also seek the peace and prosperity, verse 7, of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Jeremiah 29, 7. Seek the peace and prosperity. Seek the shalom. And by the way, the word prosperity is also shalom. Seek the shalom, peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. That's why I pray for my civic leaders. I go to as many council meetings as I can. People go, why are you there? I'm praying. I sit there and I pray. Here's how I pray. That's how I pray. One of my council members talking at the last meeting. I just called them by name. And I said, help them, Lord. Help them, Lord. Now, I'm going to let you on a secret. I don't agree with everything our council members do. I don't. I've been here longer than some of them. I've been involved in local government more than some of them. I don't agree with it all. But my job is not to say, guess, guess what? I disagree with you. My job is to say, I'm, I'm praying for you. I recently sent an email to several of them, and I will send an email to the rest this week, let you know I'm praying for you. If I can help you in any way, I'm here to serve you. Why would I even care? I'm not running for office. I've been asked to run. Do you know that? I've been asked to be five times to be on council, three times to be mayor. People said, we'll, just, we'll do all, I don't want to go campaign. They said, we'll do the work for you, Pastor. Don't worry. We need a man of God up there. So you're going, well, would he be a good mayor? I don't know. 
I've been around good mayors. I don't know if I'd be a good mayor. I don't want to be mayor. I'm not running. This is not political. Don't worry. He's talking politics. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm talking theology behind love and serve. Do you pray for your elected officials? We, we all pray for our president, right? No, we all... Now, I, I, I get around Christians who make jokes about him. I get around Christians. One lady said, Pastor, have you really noticed his hair? I said, sweetheart, I'm too busy noticing the fact that I have enough trouble running my own family and my church, let alone running the country. Where, I mean, all you got to do is, is get on the airplane in the wind and people are tweeting about your hair. Oh, this is our country. I just thought I'd tell you that. And I know right now there's a lot of polarization in our country, and, and I get that. Don't worry, I'm not going to go down any rabbit trail here. We need to pray for those in authority over us. Well, why are you telling us that? Because the Bible tells us to do that, that it may go well with you. Actually, it's the same thing that he says in, in Jeremiah 29. He says, I want you to understand something, that if you pray for the prosperity of the city and it goes well with them, it will go well with you. It's not all about yourself. It's not all about you. It's about you making sure that you are investing in the community. God was saying through the prophet Jeremiah, don't live on the outskirts and be disconnected. You get involved. You pray for it. You make a difference. Number two, you build relationships, but don't you dare assimilate. Jeremiah 29.10 says, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years, that should be uh, 29, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. In other words, he's telling them, don't you worry about your future future. I've got it. You just take care of now. Trust in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Lord and Savior died, rose again from the dead. Follow him as a disciple, and he'll take care of your future. But in the now, make sure you invest in the community that you're in. Build relationships, but don't assimilate. Now, when he says don't assimilate, he's talking about values and beliefs. Don't you dare let their values and beliefs taint yours, because that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to press their culture into you. You say, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I will love you, but I'm not going to stop believing in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And there's a tension there. Make this your home, but know that this is not your home. Make this your home, but know this is not your home. So where do we get a, a metaphor from the New Testament on this. We, we, we get a metaphor of Jeremiah 29, 11 in 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20. And he gave us this wonderful message of, of, come on. Yeah, he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Like a priest, we could go out and preach it. So we are Christ's ambassadors. And God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Come back to God. By the way, that's what prophets did. Turn back to God. Repent, sinners. Turn back to God. When we're out loving and serving in our community, when we're out making a difference with people that we work with or go to school with, we're actually pleading with them to come back to God, to reconcile themselves. Now, now how many know what an ambassador does, right? An ambassador? Well, an ambassador has this job and responsibility to live in country B while they represent country A. They know the language of country B. Matter of fact, they speak it so well that when they speak words of this language in country B, they don't sound like they're from country A. 
Now, my grandson, bless his heart, little Peyton, he's uh, in Spanish class, seventh grade Spanish, and he loves it. He's in the Spanish club, and he loves it. But when he comes to me, I know right away that he's from Lompoc. <laughs> Grandpa, hola, que tal? I just know. But a real true ambassador speaks with the accent of the country. They love the food of the people there. They love the culture. They understand what culture is. I, I'll never forget the time I went and, and, and rode along with a, a wonderful officer in Lompoc PD, and, and we went to a house that was having a fight going on. It was kind of loud and, and ruckus. And the officer started to speak to the woman who lived there, and the gentleman cut him off and said, no, 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 you speak to me. I speak to her. Because their culture was no, no, no other man talks to or touches my wife. I'm the guy that gets to do that. Now, of course, the officer said, well, sir, you need to understand the culture of uh, California penal code says I have the right to talk to her. And, and, and we, we, we worked that through. I said, oh, God, help the officer. He was brand new, brand new, just off training, brand new. But what these officers found out and what you find out and I find out, there are different cultures that are represented out there. And you've got to be careful. You've got to be savvy with them. But one of the things that we know about the world is we know enough about our world that we're savvy enough to know we don't want to do the things that they do and believe the things that they believe. But we still need to have a relationship with them through love. Come on, through love and through service. Our job as an ambassador is to represent Christ well, to build bridges and inroads into our community. Philippians 3 tells it this way, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We're called to love and serve. Matthew 5, 14. Your small groups are going to talk about this. You are a light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. And somebody says, all, all I want to do, Pastor, is just kind of blend in with the world. I don't want to cause any riffles for anybody. I don't, I don't want to cause any problems for anybody. I just want to take my, my life, and when my last breath comes, I want to go to heaven. How horrible is that? That is like just the worst of the worst of the worst. If God was standing here, he would no doubt repeat the words of Jeremiah the prophet. Don't you dare live on the outskirts. You'd be involved in your community. You, you see, in, in Western culture, it's all about the individual self. In, in non-Western culture, it, it's all about the, 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 the tribe and the, and the family and the clan. La familia, baby. But in the heavenly culture, it's a cross-shaped culture. It's all about loving and serving others. I'm going to ask you a question, and I hope somebody will have the answer. Do you know what the most intense relationship is on the planet today? What's the most intense relationship on the planet today? Anybody know? Huh? Don't all speak at once. What's the most intense relationship? Anybody know? Who said marriage? Yeah, good. Number one answer. Number one answer, marriage. Oh, somebody says, oh, it's North Korea and South Korea. Pancake, that's nothing. Republicans and Democrats, nothing. Marriage. If you're married, come on, click in now for a moment. Or if you know anybody who is married, click in for a moment. If your marriage, if either person in the marriage 
says, me first, self-fulfillment, self-gratification, self-actualization, me first, my needs first, the marriage will struggle and possibly die. If both partners are in it for themselves, they are doomed. I met a couple the other day. They said, Pastor, we're celebrating our anniversary. I said, oh, great. Our anniversary of our dating. I said, wonderful. We've been dating for three weeks. And every week we have a party. Uh, it's not going to make it. The bar's too low. Come on, three weeks. <laughs> huh? No, if it's all about you personally, and it's not about you putting the other person first, that relationship is doomed to fail. So the kingdom of God works on a different set of powerful principles. Christian life is based on sacrifice. The heart to love God and love others and serve God and serve others is based on sacrifice. It's not based on personal fulfillment. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll just be a Christian and I'll have everything go well with me. Notice what Jeremiah says. If you want it to go well with you, pray for the success and prosperity of your enemies. Babylon was their captors. They were held in bondage for 70 years. And he says to them, if it goes well with the Babylonians, it will go well with you. Think about that. If it goes well with the company you work for, if it goes well for the state of California where you live and pay your taxes, hallelujah. It will go well for you. That's why he says, number three, sacrificially love those who are nothing like you. I'm going to ask you a question. It's kind of a bold question. But do you have anybody in your circle of friends who's nothing like you? Do you have somebody who votes differently than you? Do you have somebody who's totally different than you? I have a friend who, who believes strongly in same-sex marriages. Strongly. He believes strongly and anything goes. He believes strongly that there's many roads to heaven. And he's my friend. Oh, every time we meet, I said, Lord, help me. <laughs> See, my motto with him is, I, I seek to understand rather than seek to be understood. I listen to him to understand him rather than listening to him so I can have my rebuttal ready. Because, man, I got... Thousands of rebuttal sermons in my pocket. Well, you know what the Bible says? I would lose a relationship. But I am, I'm going to tell you, we, we kind of arm wrestle whenever we meet, but you know what I'm doing? I'm winning him over with love. Because he's a guy who doesn't feel loved by the world. He's a guy that doesn't feel loved by Christians. He's a guy that was ridiculed in the last church he was in. Actually asked him to leave that church. We don't want you here anymore because the way you look and you might be a negative influence on our growth. So the pastor and the elders met him at the front door and said, don't come back. I said, what did you do? I just showed up. They don't like the way I look. I said, really? I said, My church comes, some don't like the way I look, but they keep coming. <laughs> huh? They keep coming. I'm more handsome online, by the way. That's what they tell me. Yeah. Do you have anybody in your world who votes differently than you, who looks different than you? Do you have anybody from a different culture than you? Do you have anybody that you probably wouldn't let your kids play with? Don't let your kids play with them. 
but you can still be their friend. Seek the prosperity and the peace of your enemies. It's shalom, baby. We are to be shalom bringers. Wherever we go, surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. Shalom, and write this down if you would, is the cooperative work of God with his creation and those he created to bring about wholeness, flourishing, and delight. Shalom is the cooperative work of the body of Christ. It's the cooperative work of your family together with his creation and those he created to bring about wholeness, flourishing, and delight. That's the body of Christ. I want to show you a little video here, and sorry if you're hungry because there's food in this video, but I want to show you a little video here about shalom. I just like it, and it takes this definition and unpacks it for us. So go ahead and roll it, Josh. Thank you. There's something really peaceful about seeing a couple that's been married for a long time working together. In the scripture, the word peace is used to describe the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom or peace, it's not the resigned tolerance that we often think of when we hear the word peace. Instead, shalom or peace is what comes out of the combined work that we do in service to others as service to God. That's what the Bible describes as shalom. It's an active thing, something we do together. So what does it take to live in peace or shalom in this biblical way? Let's use the making of a sandwich to illustrate shalom. Have you ever considered the kind of cooperation necessary for two people to enjoy a sandwich together? Of course, they need bread, meat, condiments. But where did all these ingredients come from? Farmers, manufacturers, grocers. Really, we have to include an entire nation because there are tons of people working in cooperation with one another just to bring it to the table. One theologian described Shalom in this way. He said, Shalom is the cooperative work of God with his creation and those he created to bring about wholeness, flourishing, and delight. I love that definition. Remember when Jesus said, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And that which you did to the least of these, you did for me. I was hungry gave me something to eat. Won't this include a couple who nourishes one another with a common meal? I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Won't this mean those who work at water purifying plants? When we understand Shalom in this way, we can see that God wants us to serve him by doing work that serves others within the everyday economies of our everyday lives even in the making of sandwiches.
Don't you love that? When, when, when you take it down to the simplest form, it's, it's two people working together. It's a church working together. It's teaching our kids together. It's, it's praying for our community together. It's, it's believing for the prosperity of those around us. Even if they're different than we are. Pastor and, and author John Ortberg, he writes about shalom. And he says, anytime somebody is kind or helpful to a stressed out young mom, a little shalom breaks out. When you're at the office, when you take a moment to really care for someone there, or at your workplace, you care for a customer, you go above and beyond the call of duty, a little shalom breaks out. When you go directly to a coworker, instead of gossiping about them behind their back, when you ask God to help you at work with a better attitude for His glory, the little shalom is breaking out in your office. Jesus is there. When you actually lighten the load of others that you work with and you take stuff off their plate and say, how can I help you? How can I serve you? Shalom shows up. When, when somebody is patient with somebody who's serving them, like a waiter or a waitress, when somebody volunteers to help an overworked classroom teacher in our schools, when somebody prays for a wounded veteran or a senior citizen, when you, in Jesus' name, seek to work with the next generation, when you seek the work in our city to encourage the arts and students with music and with beauty that will be available to lift and inspire other people's hearts, when you mentor and tutor a student and you enhance their knowledge and understanding that can set them on the path to truth and discovery, then we see the beginning of shalom. We see Jeremiah 29 happening in our midst. Everybody loves Jeremiah 29, 11. We want the promise of God, hope and a future and an expected end. But he says it in the midst of captivity for 70 years, this promise is made. Psalm 122, 6 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. You can't love a place and not pray for a place. And you can't effectively pray for a pay, place that you don't love. I, I made a vow 32 years ago to love Lompoc the best I knew how. And they came out with these buttons a few years ago. I go, really? I don't need a button. You need a button? I love Lompoc. You need a button? I love Lompoc. I like Lompoc. That was first. I love Lompoc. I bike Lompoc. You, you need a button? Folks, if you need a button, something wrong with your love. If you need a button, there's something wrong with your love. If you need a fish on your car that says, please know the person driving this car is a Christian. If they can't tell you're a Christian by the way you drive, well, <laughs> some of you don't deserve to have any kind of Christian symbol on your car. God wants all his disciples, as we said last week, involved in the harvest field, all of us involved. How do we pray for the success of our community? Well, first, we love it. Second of all, our hearts have to break for our town. And third of all, we have to say, God, use me to love and, and serve. There's somebody that you're going to encounter this week that's desperate for shalom. 
There's got to be somebody who's been paying much and much attention to their news feed on their computer or on their smartphone. The news of the last weeks and the last weekend. They're going to need shalom. And God's going to use you to be their prophet, their priest, and their king. And you're going to say, me? Yeah. As Peter said, and I have it on the authority of Scripture, that that's who we are. To be prophets that declare, as the first Peter said, that God is peace, that God is the light of the world. We declare his light among the darkness. To be those priests who, with compassion, go and love people around us. And then to be the kings that say, with authority and leadership, we, we know the greatest king of kings and the greatest Lord of lords. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.